game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to Buckets. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. I'm joined by my colleague, Brandon Anderson, uh, who is devoted to the company and is going to stay with us and wants to be a part of what we're building here. Brandon, how are you on this fine Wednesday? Doing great. I enjoyed the NBA draft lottery last night. I've got a mock draft up and I'm going to talk about that later is Draft season for me, playoff season down to our final four. We had a fun game last night. This is this is really a kind of a peak NBA time of the year for me, so I'm enjoying it. Uh, we'll talk about the lottery and Brandon's article on betting the number one pick at the end of this show. And joining us is the trader, uh, complete coward that is running from us, Raheem Palmer. So I'm, I'm Damian Lillard. I'm 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 running from the grind now, huh? <laughs> Raheem Palmer, who announced that he is leaving us uh, yesterday on Twitter. Uh, we're very happy for Raheem and his new opportunities. We're glad uh, for everything. We'll do a goodbye to Raheem. I'm going to try and work on, I have the kids solo this weekend, but I'm going to try and find time. I want to do a victory lap episode of just like all of your victory laps from as many shows as I can pull for your last day on Thursday. And I'm going to set okay. it to this shining moment is, is what I'm going to do. So we're, we're going to do how are you? That's running? hilarious. I'm good. Life is good. I mean, I can't complain. We got the Miami Heat last night. I mean, look, I mean, that that game seven trend has been awesome. So like I'm we're gonna keep running with that. Well, let's go ahead and keep rolling because we're gonna react to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, which boy, did we get kind of a swerve on Tuesday night as Marcus Smart was ruled out with a foot injury. We knew that he was questionable. He was ruled out with a foot sprain. There's no update on him. Uh Jeff Stotts, who I trust for all things injury on Twitter, basically said like who knows? It depends on the severity. It could be weeks. It could be tomorrow. Sounds very much like it's possible. Smart will play in game two or game three. Foot injuries are tough. I kind of lean towards game three more than game two, but it's entirely possible. Smart will play in game two. We'll have to factor that in as we talk about this um, as the show goes along. But um, the other thing is Al Horford, health and safety protocols at the very last minute he was announced in. Uh, Ime Odioka said that he was doing well. He would not say whether he tested positive. Uh my understanding is that Horford is vaccinated to some degree. So what that is, is he is not completely unvaccinated. The reason that matters is your vaccination status status matters whether or not you are allowed to play if you are still symptomatic. So basically, if you get a runny nose and it matters in terms of how much you're tested and what your turn time is. If you're unvaccinated, it's like a long time. If you're vaccinated, you can come back much, much faster. So this is all stuff that we're going to have to monitor. We're going to talk about the best we can because this is when we have the podcast scheduled, but you're going to want to keep up with this. I'm doing the guide for this, and I'm basically just saying, like, hey, I'm going to update this as we get more information on Smart and Horford. For Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Miami Heat are favored by four points. It opened at minus five and has moved to minus four. Uh, The majority of the ticket, the public, is on Boston in this one at 56%. The money is on the Heat in this one at 55%. But with the move, money moving or with the line moving back, I have to assume the Sharps, much as they were in game one, mind you, are probably coming in on Boston. The total open 206. This is up to 208 after a pretty high scoring game one. We're going to do best bets right off of the top. Raheem Palmer, what's your best bet for game two? I'm going with the Miami Heat minus four in this matchup. I like them for game two. We'll get into the reasons why later, but I like the Miami Heat. It pains you not doing more. When I told you I just wanted to pick, you're like, I have to fill time here. Brandon, what's your best bets? 
for game two? I am taking Boston to cover Boston on the money line plus 150 to win outright and tie the series up. But I will add a caveat. I'm waiting for Marcus Smart news. I want Smart in the lineup or Horford. I need one of the two. So I'm going to wait on the bets until I see it. Okay. Uh, I bet heat last night at four and that's where I am currently after this game is I bet the heat minus four. Um, I will stick with that. I am with Raheem on taking the heat. Let's talk about why we like these various things. I still want to go ahead and talk about this off of the top. Um, someone was hitting me with the Bayesian dynamics of how this works. And I'm not saying that this is unsurprising. Like it makes sense to me entirely based off of the outcomes, but the logical calculus is very interesting to me in this, in that, and I, I kind of talked about this in our preview episode. So the Heat were favored in game one. Hmm. They won. The Celtics were pre-series favorites to win the series. The Heat won game one. The Celtics are now dogs to win the series. Like we talked about this, like, hey, you're going to get a better price if you wait. It's just very funny to me that, that the books are literally like, yes, the Heat should win game one. Yes, the Celtics should win the series. Oh, the Heat won game one. The Heat should win the series. Like that's what the market reflects. And I know it's, this is all like, I, I get it. I, 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 got, I get it. I get it. It's just interesting to me. And that to me is like, I want to talk about the series as we go along in terms of how this plays out. Brandon, let's start with you because you are on the side of like, you're sticking with the priors and that I'm taking Miami from a number of reasons because I think there's value there. But I will say this, if the overall conclusion from our pre-series analysis from the two of you was Boston's better, then I would say they got to win this one. If you're like, hey, I expected the Heat to win game one, but I think the Celtics win the series. I think you have to be on Boston here if you're keeping with your prior, which you are. Yeah, and that's basically where I'm at on this one. And again, just just to be clear, everything I say on this podcast is I'm going to assume we get either Smart or Horford, at least one of them back in the lineup. I've got a bunch of props, futures, all of my angles assume at least one of those things. I like to put my bets into the app early usually so that people can see them. I will not be doing that on this because those guys are that important. And I think that that played a lot into what happened in game one, but you're right. I like Boston less in game two than I thought I would a day ago because of the smart and Horford news. And because I, you know, that, that changes things. What we saw in game one doesn't necessarily change things a ton for me. I'm sticking with the priors, but the priors have changed when two of the four key guys might be missing or out that matters. However, uh, I was on the favorites podcast yesterday and I said on that podcast, I want Boston to lose game one. I want a better price on Boston. I want the futures. I want a chance to bet on them. And I said, I think I would still bet on them down. Oh, two. that part I'm reconsidering. And that's kind of what you're saying, Matt, is I don't know about going down. Oh, two. And you've already got the smart and the Horford thing. We don't know if they come back or when you've got game seven on the road. If you get there, not only that, but I'm talking about title futures here. So now if it takes a game seven to get there, you're coming off two straight, long, grueling, physical seven game series. Uh, We know it's not super common to win a a seventh game and go on to win the title. Winning two is extremely uncommon before the title. So yes. For me, this is a, I like Boston. I have the priors on it. I don't feel like game one got me off of that. And if I like Boston, this really has become close to a must win game for me for, for the series, but especially for the title. So I have to back Boston here. Celtics are minus one and a half on the series spread at plus 270 on FanDuel. Do you have any interest in that? Yeah, I looked at it. 
here's what's interesting to me. Celtics at Bat Rivers are plus one and a half series at minus 175. That seems to me like, like I, I think I might play both of those and I might use the plus one and a half series as a way to fund my minus one and a half bet mm. because Boston doesn't cover the plus one and a half series if Miami wins this in six. That's that's how that goes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Miami wins in six in Boston. I don't really see that. So that means Miami has to win in five. And maybe this really spirals if Smart and Horford are just not playing and, and that's where it goes. But I, I really have a hard time seeing Boston not at least get it to six and just being out. So I, I, I'm interested in the Celtics minus one and a half series line. The plus 270 is a tempting number. I think there are other futures angles I like better. If the Celtics win in six or less, I will certainly like them for the title. And I am, again, if Smart or Horford plays this game, I am betting Celtics plus 340 to win the title. This is the spot. I would like to have waited one more game, but I think if Boston goes down 0-2, I won't feel great about betting it, even at a longer number, because it's going to be such a steep hill to climb down 0-2, road game seven, with the smart Horford thing on top of it. Well, you said before, you said that you liked them even down 0-2 before the series. But that I did. Can... But the, the, the smart Horford thing is okay. what's throwing that off All for right. me. Is just if, if they come out and Smart and Horford both play game two and they just lose a tough, close game, then I'll reconsider that. But for right now, that's the thing that kind of changed that for me. Uh, one note, Brian Winhorst of ESPN reported this morning that several Celtics staff members have tested positive for COVID. So, yeah, there, there, was a, there was a picture of like a couple hours before the game of a whole big huddle of Celtics on the court getting ready for the game and Al Horford right in the middle of all of them as he does as a team leader. So yeah, the, the, we're waiting. We're waiting because we, this could get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this. If you like Miami, like Raheem and I do, you want to be on now because like there's now. only, there's, there's only one direction yes. that it could go based off of that news. Like the market may move it back right. towards Boston, but uh, based off of the uncertainty of smart and Horford, I think that that's the only like the the only decision or way that it can move. Um, Ra, you liked mm-hmm. the Celtics before the series. Have you changed your mind at all? I still like the Celtics. I weigh that game seven trend heavily, um, and I, I think it's it's one of those trends that it tends to. I mean, it's it's been profitable over the years, but along with that, Miami is a dominant home team. When you look at how they perform in the playoffs at home this year, they're seven and zero. Straight up six and one against the spread. All of their games were blowouts except for the closeout game against Atlanta. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, they played the Atlanta Hawks, they played the Philadelphia 76ers. Look, these are still playoff teams and they were absolutely dominant in, in these games. Like, they're not just winning these, they're not just winning these games. They're absolutely just blowing these teams out. And the Celtics were coming off a, a, a rough game seven. You're missing Horford, you're missing Smart. The number for game two points in the direction that the Heat are going to win this game. And look, the, the Celtics, to me, they've proven to be a resilient team. We've seen that. Look, they they were down double digits against the Bucks on the road and pulled a game off. Um, they were down 3-2 and pulled the series off. I think this is a long series. Matt, you kind of hinted at this. We underrated Miami. Um, and it's pretty clear that Miami is worthy 
they're worthy of the one seat, but I still don't think they have enough offense. I still think, you know, it took Jimmy Butler to score 41 points. It took the Celtics to have a 14% turnover rate for them to win that game. So I think Miami goes up 2-0, and then I think we're coming back to Miami for game five with, with a tie series. Knowing how game one set up, coming off of game seven with smart out, somewhat unexpectedly, I'm guessing Boston probably knew that was a possibility. Horford certainly unexpectedly. That was just hours before the game. I actually came away feeling pretty okay and honestly kind of good about Boston's performance in this one. Docker. Yeah, I understand. But like, look, here's what happened in the game. I thought the Celtics were the better team and boy, they came out looking good. My Miami game one bet maybe isn't going to play so well because the Celtics are up at halftime. They have 62 points at halftime. We did not expect to see a 60 point half in the series. We got two of them. The Heat had 64 in the second half, but everything went wrong in the third quarter. They come out and have the Heat have a 22 to two run out of halftime punctuated by three straight Jason Tatum turnovers, basically pick sixes for layups on the other way. And in the same quarter, the Heat had a 17 to three run to end the quarter combined. That is 39 Heat points to five Celtics points. And I know that's cherry picking endpoints, but outside of that stretch, like Boston is the better team the entire rest of the game. And that, this, that stretch counts. But to me, what that stretch told us is this. That's the game seven stretch. That's the tired legs coming out in the second half. That's sloppy mental mistakes, turnovers. That's where in the second half, we saw the injuries come home to roost. And part of that is part of the game seven thing. Daniel Tice wasn't great in this game. I think he was minus 16 on the floor. Peyton Pritchard had good numbers early. So it feels like he had a good game. Peyton Pritchard was targeted mercilessly. He played the entire fourth quarter. And I saw Gabe Vincent set nine ball screens in the fourth quarter. He had 10 for the game, as highest of his career, because they wanted Peyton Pritchard in the action. Boston's whole thing defensively is we don't have a weak link for you to target. They do. It's Peyton Pritchard. And if Smart is back in the lineup, it's Smart instead. Good luck targeting Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, whose physicality against Jimmy Butler was missed. And his replacement level above Pritchard, I think, was bigger than I thought it would be. Miami had 34 free throw attempts. Boston's not a foul heavy team usually. Again, that's tiredness. That's that's sloppy mistakes that I think Boston we thought was going to make in game one and that they don't necessarily make going forward. So I came away feeling fine about Boston in game. I feel fine about Miami too. I, like Miami got the job done. They needed to get the win, right. but I, I don't feel like I can really get off of what I thought about Boston going in with what I saw in game one. Yeah, and like now this is yeah. like I knew this is how this yeah. is gonna go. It was like yeah. game one, and like everybody's gonna be be where they were because like it was a sad where like Miami wasn't gonna be able to gain ground because if they won, we were gonna be like, well, Boston was tired. Yeah, but yeah. no smart, no Horford. Boston was tired, yeah. and I think that's where the value lies for game two because I don't think Miami is necessarily getting enough credit. Like to me, Miami didn't play their best game. No. Um. So there's a couple things here. The quarter thing I think is really funny because this is what I, I railed about in the 2020. I bet on the Celtics in the 2020 <laughs> series because I was like, the Celtics are better. Like they're just a better team than Miami. And they were in that series for three quarters of three of the five games. They were, they were better. They were, they were a better team. They would have one quarter where it was absolute disaster. And one of the things that, that as I watched that unfold last night that I really did think about was without Middleton, 
I think we really are not accurately rating what Milwaukee is in terms of a clutch. You got to get something done situation. Like we just look at him and go like Giannis. Okay. But like you need tough shot makers to hit tough shots. You need big time players to make these types of shots. Miami, you may not like the the names on these guys, but they have proven that they will hit those. Like Max Struess yeah. is a really good player that can hit shots. Like they have these guys. We don't think of them because they're not household names, but like they have guys that can hit those shots. The Celtics, on the other hand, what was the big problem for the first half of the year in Boston, Raheem? What was the biggest thing that led to them be having that record, that sub 500 record? They couldn't score in mm-hmm. half court. No, it was a clutch time. Oh, yeah. They had oh, the yeah. second worst clutch performance of any team outside of Indiana. And we were yeah. watching them blow 30 point lead. Yeah. That game there is the some version of that team that is still in the DNA of this one. And Horford and Smart do not change that. Like, here's the problem. Because everybody I know that I respect, including the two of you who I value and respect very much, are just like, Celtics are better. Celtics are better. They're going to be fine. I can't. Like, I can't trust myself. I'll tell you, at this point, I do want to bet heat. I Man, nibble. This, this, I honestly, nibble. And this, this is the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. These are the opportunities to get paid. And you see me do it over and over and over again. When the market is against you, this is the opportunity where you got to say, look, I'm trusting myself because it's always going to be you versus everybody else on these games. I think listening to you, I realize I undervalued Miami. Some of this is just a hunch, but I feel like this Celtics team has grown up. And I think because of that past experience of losing to this Heat team, there's, there's something there. And obviously game one was a, a rough spot. I think game two is a, a tough spot as well. But I really think this series is going to go back to Miami tied 2-2. Tatum has just reached a point to where he's going to win out. I think the problems you're seeing with the Celtics team is that they don't have a point guard. And that's going to show up all year long. Like you saw the turnovers. They don't have a table setter. So it's like it's, it's never going to be as easy as people think it is. So turnovers were a big part of our cap. Y'all's mm-hmm. cap specifically for Warriors and Mavericks. Let's so we yeah. we accept that like turnovers are a, a big deal. So yeah. let me ask you guys this: Why is it that neither of you care about the fact that the Miami Heat lead the playoffs in points off of turnovers in the playoffs? This has been the best team. They are a great defense. They turn you over. They score off those turnovers. I'll also say this: Right now, this moment in time, like. As we were talking at this specific moment and maybe only this moment, right now, Jimmy Butler is playing better than Jason Tatum. That is true. I don't want to say it. I'm not a Jimmy guy. Like, I've always been like, he is a headache. Like, he is a pain in the ass. I don't like guys that take the kind of approach that he does where he tears other people down. I don't, like, I personally do not appreciate that. I like guys that raise everybody up. But right now on the court, Jimmy Butler is that dude. So, like, right now, Brandon, I want to be clear on this. Like, I can't sit here and be like, what? You're taking the Celtics? Are you nuts? Of course not. Like, no, I get it. I am struggling because they do lack that point guard presence. And it's not Marcus Smart, as much as Celtics fans want to think it is. He's not going to calm them down. I, I saw Gabe Vincent last night play absolutely phenomenal. Now, Smart's defense on Gabe Vincent would probably make a big deal. Like, that's an area where you can very much point to it. Um the Celtics had short roll opportunities that they couldn't capitalize on because Robert Williams is not that kind of player. He's a full role player. Horford helps a lot on those short rolls. Like there's tactical stuff there where both of those guys help. The last point I want to bring up here, as we look at the trends 
teams that go up 2-0 at home in the conference finals are 56 and 6 at 90%. I mentioned the game one trend. I mentioned the game two trend. And what people are kind of getting back to is like, well, look at the Bucks series because they were down 3-2 and they never win that one. And then are they lost game one at home? And to me, like Brandon, what I keep coming back to is that a lot of this, I just look at that and I go, yeah, Milwaukee probably should have won that series. And two, yeah, Chris Middleton was hurt. Yeah. And so when I look at this, I continue to kind of think like, I still don't, the market has shifted. Yeah. But there's going to be probably an opportunity later because I don't, I don't like, I don't think the Heat are sweeping. I don't think they're winning in five. I think I'll have another opportunity later. I'll just tell you, I am no longer absolutely convinced. I am no longer like my prior was look, Boston's better. I will tell you, I have moved to undecided for who is better. And I think that's probably the better place to be. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you could win on Sleeper by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, just choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball or rebounds or stocks, whatever it is that you're into. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about the over-under on Sleeper is that's the only app where I can join my buddies' contest and play together. I have some real squares in my life that I'm looking forward to taking some money off of. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friends' picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. On your mobile phone, join our listener group on Sleeper at sleeper.com slash buckets. And Sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash buckets and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Okay, I want to respond to a couple of things. First of all, Jimmy Baller is the better player than Jason Tatum. I don't think that that should be a controversial statement. Jason Tatum maybe is ready to overtake him at some point. He's certainly been the better player all season and has been the better player all playoffs. Like that, that's pretty clear. Having said that, Baller just put up 41 points, nine rebounds, five assists, four steals and three blocks. Only LeBron and Elvin Hayes have had 45, five, three and three games in the playoffs, like three stocks away from a five by five game in the playoffs. This is a Jimmy Butler masterclass. This is his best game of the series. He had 18 free throws. He had five offense rebounds. He was awesome. I didn't know if he had this game in him, this series with the way Boston would defend, but he didn't have that game in him against the usual Boston defense, which I expect to be back at some point. This is going to be Butler's best game of the series. And look, with Smart back, Butler, that that's going to play a big role in, in part of the defense against Butler. P.J. Tucker left in the first half. I thought it looked bad, personally. I thought it looked like it might really stick with him. He came back in the second half. Jason Tatum was 0 for 3 on field goals with two turnovers when P.J. Tucker was the primary defender in game one. That is huge. P.J. Tucker took Jason Tatum out and huge because Jimmy Butler didn't have to. It saved Jimmy Butler to do all the offense. They need him to be able to do that. I just think the, the injury thing is bad right now for Boston. 
but I'm not convinced that Smart and Horford are just done for. And I'm also not totally convinced that Tucker is perfectly fine. I want him to be. I just want these guys healthy and playing. But I think the Butler Tatum thing could swing in a hurry if Smart and or Horford come back and Tucker ends up with that injury kind of sticking with them. That could really swing that in a hurry. So and and that one's that's not even like, well, Butler stinks now and Tatum is better. That's just that's defense. That's these guys. Who, uh, who do you think contested the most shots from Jimmy Butler in game one? Uh, it was like Peyton Pritchard, right? Because you just ate him alive, right? I don't think Peyton Pritchard does a lot of contesting. <laughs> well, Peyton Pritchard contested five shots. Uh, okay. Jalen Brown contested 11 and Jason Tatum contested 10. Uh, that is uh, where that kind of comes into. So if we look at this, I think you got to like look at a little bit more of kind of how this goes. Uh, I'm sorry. Those are, uh, those were the wrong numbers. Payton's correct to six and Brown contested five. Uh, Williams contested four. And with Tatum contesting, Jimmy still had a 50% effective field goal percentage, which isn't great, but it's good enough for a series. It's going to be pretty defensive minded. Uh, I have a, I do have a, like a general thing here after we saw what happened in, in the second series, how good do we think Jalen Brown is defensively? I mean, we, it's, it's pretty obvious that he is, at least the the NBA teams think that he is Boston's weakest defender of their starting five. That's pretty clear because they're targeting him. Like yeah. we don't have to my decide with, that. They have decided that for us. Yeah. My thing with the Marcus smart thing, I would just want to stress this uh, with regards to Jimmy, you can talk about smarts overall impact on, on different guys. Mm. If you're going to run a switch, all team, a switch, all defense. I don't think it like, I just don't think you can be like, well, smart. will take, we'll, we'll take Jimmy. Well, no, Jimmy's just going to force the switch. Like yeah. maybe it's Horford, maybe it's Tatum. Maybe it's Brown, maybe it's Williams, maybe it's whoever. Like, and that's fine. If you yeah. trust those other guys, that's fine. But we just well, like can't be like, saying, though, we, it's, just, it's, we I, just can't be. My my point is just we can't be like, oh, well, Marcus Smart will just take him because that's not how the defense. Like, I no. get mad at this whenever we talk about who's going to guard Luca. It's pick and roll. If you have to guard it with multiple guys, well, that's, that's how the pick whole and roll point. Was. That's why having Smart and Horford out and replaced by Pritchard and Tice for a huge like fifty minutes of the game, those two played. That's my point. The point isn't. Marcus Smart defensive eraser will take Jimmy Butler out of the game. I have like crapped on Marcus Smart defensive player of the year every chance <laughs> I've had. Like I clearly don't think that, but the award was a team award and the team yeah. isn't the team when Smart and Horford aren't out there. That's fair. I, I put this on Twitter. Boston in the first half had 21 two-pointers out of 30. They shot 70% on twos. They had 42 points in the paint. That is the second most in a half by any NBA team in the last 25 years while it's been tracked. In the second half, Boston shot 10 of 35 on field goals, 29%, 415 on twos, six points in the paint. Six is less than 42 by a lot. They had nine turnovers. So, Matt, you're, you're the X and those guys out of us. What went so badly for Miami's defense in the first half and what went so right for it in the second half? Uh, a couple of things. I think when we start off with this uh, discussion, I think part of what winds up that has to be talked about is in the first half, there was a lot of, you're not playing the Sixers anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. It turns out the Celtics are not playing the Bucks, Grayson Allen without the <laughs> team either. Uh, I think there was a lot of adjustment for Miami because they really like, this is a lot of Ross take on, on, on Miami was like, look at who they played. Right. I do think, and I do believe that when you go from teams that are not championship level to championship level and Boston is absolutely championship level, there is like a period of adjustment. I thought it might have cost them game one entirely. 
It didn't because they're third quarter, yeah. right? But once they settled in, they started to do a lot better. Like they were, there was like uncharacteristic mistakes all over the place for Miami yeah. when I went back and watched game, the first half of that game. It was just like, they were like, it, it was a feel out performance. And Boston was very much, you could tell, buoyed by, we're shorthanded. Nobody believes against us. We are the Boston Celtics. We will not go down without Marcus Smart. Now, this is for Smart. And then it was like, oh, shit, the Heat figured this out. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to figure them out because there's a lot the Celtics can do to counter it. A lot of it, like, if you want to, like, look at this, Brandon, like, I will totally agree with you that game, like, the second half, the Celtics just play like garbage. Yes. Like, you are you are correct. One of the problems I have in this, how many times have I gotten in this and been like, they just play bad, so they should play better. I will not do that with this Miami team because I don't know how they do it. They are absolutely awesome at just you being like, I don't really understand what happened. That team just played badly against Miami and Miami played good for one quarter and one. That's why I'm not like, I am not in. Well, look, Tatum had a great game. They have one bad quarter. They're fine. This is literally Miami's identity. Like this is who they are is they are very much the, I don't really understand it, but they won. That's like the entire Miami ethos. And if you say like, you're going to bet on that. No, I'm not. This is why I can't like (laughs) why I can't bet on Miami. Right. Like I, I agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is who Miami is. I just don't think that is who Boston is. I don't, I, I don't, we saw Boston turn into the Atlanta Hawks for the third quarter. And I know Matt, I know you're like, yeah, that's what happened to me when I bet them in 2020 in the bubble. This is not that team. This is not that team. Okay, They're not yeah. the team from 2020. They're not the team from the fall. They are a title team. I think that was the game seven woes that we saw. I yeah, don't think it was more than that. I think it's game seven wolves, but I also think some of this is Miami. I mean, Miami has really just been this good at home. Like there's, yeah. like I said before, they are seven and zero oh at home during the playoffs on the road. They're two and three. Like, honestly, I'm totally expecting Miami to win tomorrow in dominant fashion. Like the line says it all. The fact that they open this line at four in a must win game. I know Horford and smart are questionable, but it says that Miami is going to win this game. And honestly, I hope Miami wins this game because if they do, I'm taking this out just to win this series. I need to push back, Raheem, because I think that your position is inconsistent. So at DraftKings right now, you can bet Miami to win game two, Boston to win the series is plus 425. Matt, you asked before about Celtics minus one and a half in the series. My best futures bet for the series is Celtics to win game two and the series plus 225. I think to win the series, they probably need to win this game. So I'm just going to take both of them. I like that. Raheem, I want to know if you're going to take the Celtics to lose game two, but win the series, because you have said a few minutes ago, this series is going to be two to two after four games, but you think Miami's going to blow them out here, which means that you also are pigeonholing yourself into Boston has to win game three and game four at home uh, I'm gonna be honest, to I win the they, series. So you, think, you left a very they, narrow path. I think this is a seven game series. You're basically parlaying yourself into a Miami money line, then two Boston money lines then Boston winning two out of three. That's the only scenario out that you've left yourself. I know. I truly think Miami wins tomorrow. And I, I think the Celtics come back and win the next two at home. But I also say this, like, this is part of like Raheem's entire approach, right? It's like, he wants to be open to the idea of like, look, I'll watch game two. And if I come away with game two or there's an injury or something, like I've got flexibility. It's why I don't like the game X and whatever is like, I don't want to get hit with you go into this game and you're like, oh, I'm going to bet Miami to win game two and the Celtics to win the series. And then like Jason Tatum sprained his ankle. 
Like, yes, you're better off. But, that, but that's any future bet, though. Like, it is you're taking Celtics minus one and a half series and Tatum sprains ankle and they lose. Well, now they have to win without Tatum four games in a row. You have the same exact problem. Yeah, I, I think but tying it into the parlay, I think, gives you less options in terms of like you can bet Celtics now as a dog and then come back on the heat if the Celtics were to win whatever. And then also, I mean, also you're married to a unit size, too. Like I could say, hey, you know, I want to bet. 110 to win 100 on Miami um, to win game two. And then I can come back and say, you know what? Because the Celtics are a plus odds, give me half of my wager. Give me $50 and I can still pocket my. So it's just like, it's just, it's too many different variables. I'd rather just play Miami for game two, then come back, think about it. And I think I already know what I'm going into it thinking. Like, I, I, cause I think the Celtics are going to win game three. I, I really do. I mean, we've seen it happen. In the Hawks series, we've seen it happen in the the Sixers series. I think the Celtics can get yeah. Game Three. We're going to be on Game, game Four. I'm going to be on. I'm going to be with you because hey, look, the Heat have been bad on the road. Like the Heat outside of Game Six, Philly, get Heat the Heat haven't been been great on the road. So I think there's going to be opportunities there. Uh, Brandon, we need to hit props before we do lottery. So I got to hit you real quick. What are the props for you got for game two? Yeah, I did Jalen Brown rebounds in game one. Again, I'm assuming Horford doesn't play here. If he's out, I like Jalen Brown rebounds again. Uh, last 24 playoff games for Jalen, he's averaging seven and a half rebounds a game. His line was five and a half in game one. It's moved up to six and a half now, but the over is at plus money now, plus 111, plus 164 to get at least eight rebounds. He's done that in 13 out of those 24. So I like Jalen rebounds. I'm looking for Jalen Brown threes over two and a half, Max Struess threes over two and a half. You're drinking a little juice on those, but uh, they've been consistently hitting both of those. So I'm writing the props column so you can find out more about those there on, on Wednesday. Last thing uh, just came out while we were recording and having this conversation. Ima Udoka missed media availability due to a non-COVID illness. Sometimes those have later popped up as positive. So look, if you're betting Celtics, you need to wait and wait yep. and wait until tip. That's our best bet is yeah. if you're betting heat, bet early. If you're betting Celtics, bet late. Um, oh, man. Brandon, on Tuesday night, the Orlando Magic won the, the lottery. Congrats to the Orlando Magic and their fans. Want good things for them. The Oklahoma City Thunder get the number two pick. The Houston Rockets secure the number three pick. The Sacramento Kings finally move up, and they get fourth. The Detroit Pistons are the big losers as they slide, slide to five. You've got an in-depth article up on the number one pick and where the value should be. Uh, we can go ahead and give the listeners that best bet right now. Your best bet right now to win the number one pick in the NBA draft is... My bet is Chet Holmgren. I'm going with Chet. It's it's a long process to come still. I know the draft is only a month away and it's like, well, what do you mean it's a long process? These guys are already done playing. No, no, no. There's a lot to come still. NBA evaluators, like the scouts have done their work, but the, the guys really making the decisions. They have a lot of work to come. The combine still comes up this week. It th- there, there are a lot, a lot more things to come. There are all the interviews and everything. So it's going to move around a lot. The favorite at books right now is Jabari Smith from Auburn. Jabari Smith, we know, had a rough March Madness. He is, his jumper is wet. Like the dude, he's, he, he looks kind of like Michael Porter Jr. in the way that he plays. He can get the shot off anytime, anywhere. He can self-create the shot. Any NBA team wants a 6'10 dude who can get that shot off. Nobody really knows what Chet Holmgren is supposed to be in the NBA. We've never seen anything like him be successful before because he's over seven foot tall and like under 190 pounds. So it's look, he, Evan Mobley has like 30 pounds on him for reference. 
like Evan Mobley, who had a lot of questions on his frame, has a lot of strength and size on Chet Holmgren. Chet does a lot of things well. He can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot. He's an incredible defender. He has to stay on the court to do those things. He has to stay out of foul trouble. He has to not break in the half when somebody dunks on him. And I think he can do those things. He's one at every level. Chet Holmgren, I talked about in the article, the Magic general manager, John Hammond, he's the, he's the general manager that drafted Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks. He drafted Thon Maker for, for Orlando. He's taken Mo Bamba, and he's taken uh, Isaac, or Jonathan Isaac. So Chet Holmgren fits that type. Give me the longest, most talented dude that I can get, and I'm just going to take a swing at upside. Now, this is the number one pick. This is not those late lottery picks. So I don't know if you do that here, but I like Chet Holmgren to Orlando. I think Orlando could have a pretty nasty defense if they build around Chet and Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs, the piece that they've got in place already. Uh, Jabari Smith, pretty easy top two. I think he goes to OKC if, if not to number one. Uh, I got Jabari Smith at 10 to one when the odds <laughs> first popped up. That's yeah. a victory lap for me. Congratulations for you on that. Oh, wow. That's, that's wow. a big one. And I'm going to have to bet Homer, I think, at plus 155. Um, the people I've talked to, look, it's early in the process, and everyone's like, look, I don't know. Like, I haven't talked to many people, but the early conversation is basically there's a lean towards Holmgren a lot based off of what Brandon said about Hammond's experience with these type of guys. I don't know how sound that is because there's a lot of different guys in the room now for Orlando, and they have a different team. There was a, some conversation that they were exploring trades for Mo Bamba with, this, with the explicit idea that they would have a possibility of maybe trading or maybe acquiring Chet Holmgren in the draft. So I think it's probably value on Chet, especially a plus number right now. You're getting a plus 155. Um, I will say like a lot of the smart scouting folks that I trust that are in league circles are very big on Jabari. They're very big on Jabari as the number one pick draft Twitter loves Chet. Like that's just like draft Twitter is love Chet. And it makes a lot of sense because everyone's like, wait, this kid, this thing. And then, to me, it creates like a double down effect where people are like, yeah, this kid, you don't understand how good he is. And look, I don't yeah. my thing is like, I don't I don't ever, I don't want to do the analysis because I find that it's kind of useless for what we do. It matters what these teams are going to do, not what I think. Do I yeah. think Chet Holmgren is uh, has the weight of a thin sheet of paper and is going to get obliterated? Yes. Yes, I do. It doesn't matter. I could be wrong. It's a draft. These are kids. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I will say that I agree with Brandon uh, as of this point that you're probably your best value at plus 155 or better. You can play, yeah, 155 um, at FanDuel is on Chet Holmgren. So the only thing I would add to that is you might get better value. Like Matt, in your position in particular, you've got your 10 to one on Jabari. Obviously, that's going to give you a lot of hedge opportunity. I don't really see a scenario where this locks in on Chet and he suddenly is like a minus 200, a minus 300. I, it's hard for me to see, like, look, we talked about this of where does it go over the next month in, in the individual workouts and in the interviews and everything. Jabari Smith's going to show up in a gym and hit like 80 out of 100 jumpers. And, and just like everyone's going to watch the clip and people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, I have to have that on my NBA team now. Ken Holmgren is not going to do that. He's not, he's not going to just wow people at, like out of the gym in these individual workouts. Ken Holmgren needs to play basketball to be valuable. It, like he's, he's not an individual thing. So if anything, I actually think the chat number might go the other direction and give you more value to wait. And Matt, you're in such a good position on your 10 to one that I think you can risk waiting a little bit and you might end up getting as people lock more into the idea of Jabari number one, we know how group think works and that's kind of how this goes that you might be able to get a better hedge position later. 
I think this moves toward Jabari for now, not away from him. There's nobody else that either Brandon or I think should be, you should be betting on to go number one. Don't bet Paolo. No. Don't bet anybody else. Nobody else. Yeah. I think Jaden Ivey could have been in the conversation with a different lottery, just as the one guard in the draft, the the one lead guard to go after, but this, it's not happening for him. And I don't think Paolo is the right fit. So it's, it's going to be one of those two. I am really excited to see Chet Holmgren versus a chair. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to wrap it up for Buckets. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have yourselves a great Thursday. See you again tomorrow uh, as we preview game two and give you bets for Mavericks Warriors game two. Let's get buckets. <laughs>